0: Most medical innovation in the world comes to us via painstaking clinical trials, a highly regulated process that helps determine that the treatments we're given are both safe and effective in improving our health. But the clinical trial industry has a problem. It's hard to recruit enough of the right patients, and it's especially hard to make sure that our trials feature enough population diversity to know whether treatments will be effective for bigger populations of people. How do we solve that seemingly insurmountable problem? Hello, and welcome to Data Point, the podcast about all the ways that data and analytics are driving innovation in healthcare today. I'm your host, Greg Matthews, and our guest today is Jason Bumgartner, CEO and founder of Beck Health, a company focused on optimizing clinical trial recruitment through analyzing data at massive scale and making that data available to clinicians as they're talking to their patients. As our listeners know from prior episodes, innovation in clinical research is of critical importance. And the work that Jason and his team at Beck Health are doing to carry it forward is fascinating. Jason, thanks so much for being with us on Datapoint today.
1: Yeah, great. Thanks for having me. Really appreciate it.
0: I've been really looking forward to this conversation because, uh, as you may know, we've had a mini-series of episodes that focus on advances in clinical trial recruitment, and I'm really, really interested in hearing uh, about the work that you're doing at Beck Health But before we get there, I'm wondering if we could turn the lens backward for a moment and just hear a little bit about how you came to be running this new company. You've worked with some of the real giants in the industry, but what are some of the milestones in your career that led you to Beck Health?
1: Right. Well, I think the first one, the first milestone for me when I was in college, I was playing baseball, didn't really have a career in mind, and I was sitting in botany class and what I really liked about the professor was that he seemed to explain science in a way where there was a lot of unknown answers. And I thought, mm-hmm. I thought, hmm, I want to be in want prof- to be in a career like that, right? So I, after a biology degree, I uh, took a job in Connecticut helping a company that was working on sequencing the human genome project at the time, mm-hmm. which was great experience. But really, you know, over the course of my career, I, I think of myself as a product person. You know, I like to think about how do we optimize processes? How do we make these processes more efficient? How do we create automated solutions that can take out manual effort that can help people do their work in a lot more efficient manner? I made the transition a few years ago from Quintiles to an organization called Shift Analytics where I mm-hmm. you know, was able to really gain the experience of how to build automated data analytics solutions. And after Shift Analytics, I, I had the pleasure of starting Beck Health.
0: And as you were making those transitions, obviously, he, even those companies have ha- undergone significant transitions since you uh, were involved with them. What was it that you saw out there that seemed to be missing that led you to to start Back Health?
1: Uh, this is it's it's almost a crazy story where I I've been in the healthcare field for what fifteen years and everyone mm. talks about patient recruitment, right? Mm. You know, whether you're a pharma, a CRO, everyone has an idea about what needs to happen with patient recruitment, but it, I was at a happy hour in New Haven, Connecticut, with mm. some ex-colleagues who were clinical research coordinators at the Smilo Cancer Center. And they were explaining to me how they went about doing recruitment. And what they explained to me was something like this. Okay, A patient comes in, a doctor notifies them when a patient comes in, and they'll take a packet of trials into an office, Spread out these protocols, the eligibility criteria, and try to mentally mind map, Uh you know, information from the EMR against these 40 or 50 trials that they had running. And I I just, over the course of the next 30 minutes, I think I annoyed these people. I'm like, wait, that's what you do? That is how patient recruitment happens? And I just thought it was one of those, like, kind of, oh, F moments, if you wouldn't mind me saying that. Like of all this conversation about what needs to change with patient recruitment, we need to do a better job of solving the problem at the point of care. Right? So Mm -hmm. I went off and, you know, quite honestly, I made a decision at the point that, Holy crap, this is, this is the key issue as I see it, that needs to be solved for if we're going to make any effort in getting more patients in the clinical trials.
0: Okay. And Tell me about that. Tell me about, do you, what's your vision in terms of being able to engage patients in clinical trials? I, you know, it's something that there's still, even to this day, lots of misunderstanding about how clinical trials work. There's some fear around them, you know, the sort of the guinea pig syndrome. What's your vision in terms of, uh, you know, reshaping the way that you know, both researchers and patients think about clinical trials and how participation works.
1: Ultimately we know that patients trust one person beyond anyone else. It's their provider, right? Mm-hmm. They don't trust an outbound phone call from a marketing agency that they have no inter, you know, interconnection to. They trust their provider, The one thing that I don't think is very well known in research is that a lot of providers don't participate in research, even at academic medical centers. What happens even at this academic medical center is a PI of a trial is advocating for their trial. And a lot of the other physicians, they're seeing patients every 15 minutes. Mm -hmm. They're really just managing standard of care. So what's my vision? Let's make it easier or we need to make it easier for physicians to participate in research. How do we do that? We spoon feed them patients and services that are eligible for their trials so that they can have Mm -hmm. the conversation with their patients when they're in the office real time, right? Part of the problem right now with research is we've created this mechanism outside of the research site where we're trying to use billboards and Facebook and Mm. you know all these mechanisms we all we already inherently do not trust right (laughs) yeah we inherently do not trust Facebook and billboards and telemarketer calls let's provide opportunities for providers to provide research trial options to their patients real time that would be my vision
0: and so, let's talk about how that works today, um because what you described as the sort of the current state of clinical trial recruitment sounds a little scary, uh, and it seems a long way from where we would need to be in order for your vision to be achieved so t- tell me a little bit about the work that you're doing you know to to move that agenda forward
1: right, so our solution there's does Multiple things, but let me just say that the first thing is we've developed an AI platform that s- sits on top of an EMR system. Okay. And in essence, predicts and maps all of the structured and unstructured data within that EMR system into a proprietary ontology. Just to give you an example of why that's important, every year a patient creates 4,000 pieces of notes, like notes that are put into an EMR that is relevant for clinical research, but the EMR system doesn't capture it in the structured information. To to give you another data point, a clinical trial, the eligibility criteria in a clinical trial, EMR systems, the way they're structured, because really they're billing systems, right? Mm -hmm. Only cover 30 to 40% of the trial criteria thus when it comes to identifying patients, it's all done manually typically. So the first thing we've built is we've we've solved the challenge of making EMR data clinically relevant, right? Our EMR, uh, we call it EMR, Beck Translate. It has 23 million medical terms. So that's the first thing I, I, I say is you've got to get the data right. You got to get it in a format that's precise and accurate.
0: And so to be clear, what you're talking about is that the EMR you know is stru- it's structured as a billing instrument but there is a the capability to add unstructured data that relates more specifically to the clinical issues that the patient is facing but that the fact that it's
1: unstructured makes it much more difficult to work with right it makes it impossible to work with my colleague says and I don't have the exact phrases down that he does but he says there's there's about 600 different ways you can say headache Right. So <laughs> wow. if you have a in a lot of protocols may have, you know, the requirement to, to that the patient have a headache or not have a headache. Well, what our solution does is it maps all these various medical terms that may be described as headache into one entity. Right. So by then and we are able to determine with a high level of precision through machine learning that what that doctor was trying what that doctor wrote what he he or she was trying to say was headache right mm, yeah. So that's where we need to start with is getting the data in a better position to be clinically relevant for trials. That's the beginning From there, the the next steps we are solving for is trial intake into a research, institution or perhaps into a broader community we've created what we call Beck feasibility which is a a very easy to use no code very precise mechanism for a research site to run uh, a feasibility across its entire protocol to determine do we actually have the patients in our system match Mm -hmm. this protocol right because one of the one of the issues in research today is that quite honestly it's very inaccurate like as pharma will you know ask a a site hey do you want to run this trial the there's not really a good decision making process there and that's why we see that you know x number of you know like almost 50 percent of trials don't recruit patients on time. Why is that? Because we don't really even know if the sites have the patients. Sure.
0: It's an interesting problem. And I think at this point, let's take a quick break. But when we come back, I want to talk about, you know, we've talked about the EMR being a primary source of data in terms of understanding the patient and patient population within an, an institution. I'm also interested in talking about the other side of that funnel, which is you know the ability to translate clinical trial uh, recruitment criteria uh, into the system. So let's take a quick break, but we're going to be right back with Jason Bumgartner from Beck Health. Welcome back to Data Point. I'm your host, Greg Matthews, and our guest today is Jason Bumgartner from Beck Health. Jason, as we went into the break, we were talking a little bit about some of the problems that institutions have in understanding you know, should we be a part of this clinical trial? If so, what's the patient population we should be targeting? I'd like to shift the lens, if we could, a little bit towards the other side of that equation, towards the um, the originators of the research. Might be a pharma company, uh, might be a medical device company, but whoever it is, how how is Beck Health taking the clinical trial requirements and then translating them to the point where they can actually be matched with the right patients?
1: Right. So to be clear, our, our product is currently used at the point of care, which means it's okay. used at a research facility and/or practice. and quite honestly, that's one of the differentiators that allows us to do what we do under HIPAA, right? So sponsors or CROs um, are with, are able to pay for our solution into a practice or site where, they are running their trials that's our model today we're working on different and more advanced models but i'll say that's our model today the, yep. but the, well, the way it would work is that a sponsor let's say they are running a trial in practice or or research facility a they would basically pay for the solution and it would be in essence hands off there because it has to be hands off they can't see phi and so forth the right. solution We, our solution going back to, you know, we connect to the EMR through the ingestion of the EMR and the mapping. We have a a solution in place where we, in essence, load the trial, right? Where we Mm -hmm. take in, we have researchers on our team that work with the trial coordinators at the sites to load as many of the relevant criteria from the trial into our solution, so that what the trial coordinators get on a daily basis is a highly precise and accurate list of patients who meet a high propensity of the eligibility criteria, if, that, mm-hmm. if that's making sense. Oh, totally. Right? So one, and, you know, I'm promoting us a little bit here, but what, what, what this in essence does is it makes the research teams re, uh, proactive And going back to my vision of how we can improve research by providing the research teams, these eligible patients, even of the day they are coming in for a site visit, it allows that research team to then better coordinate with the providers so we can get to that model where the providers are providing their particular patients a clinical research option
0: interesting and that was actually getting to my very next question which is okay so i'm a, a clinical trial site coordinator i've got a list of patients who look as though they are likely to meet my eligibility criteria what do i do now do i do i put a note in the emr that's going to flash the next time that person comes in are we going to generate a proactive communication to that patient or their or to their to their doctor. What, what actually happens then once you've got that list?
1: Right. The, the ideal situation and what we've seen, it's, it's, it's still a bit of like what I would call ground warfare, right? It really is that, you know, in a, in best case situations, either that list goes to a provider and that provider and that nurse collaborate in the morning to talk about their schedule of patients coming in that day. Mm-hmm. Uh, And, or the, and this is actually what happens in real time is the coordinator, the doctor may pass off the patient to the coordinator while the patient is in the office. I mean, that's really how it happens real time. You know, imagine you go into an office, you have a chronic disease like cancer, the, the doctor has a discussion with you. Um, Unfortunately, your disease has progressed. The good news is that we do have some research options for you, and I'd like to introduce you to one of our experienced research coordinators that can talk you through the protocol. That would That's the ideal situation. That's the ideal situation.
0: And it makes perfect sense. It takes all the friction out of the system um, because that is exactly the time when that person is ready to have that conversation, I would imagine.
1: Yeah, because really healthcare is personal, right? I know that, you know, we are probably in this conversation going to be talking about virtual and decentralized trials and how exciting those are, which they are exciting. You know, I'm excited for all the people in that space. At the same time, a lot of us do trust our provider, right? And then to transition a patient from a standard of care to a research study still takes a personal interaction. You know, we do a lot of, we, we do a lot of, uh, studies in Alzheimer's, um, CNS disorders and cancer. And imagine the, you know, and my friends on the other side of this, who've been great advisors to me, um, have said, look, the pull through is as important as the technology. Right. And I'm not naive Mm -hmm. enough to believe that our technology solves recruitment, you know, so if you're going to enter a patient in an Alzheimer's trial, that was identified by the Beck Health Solution, that interaction between the nurse or the coordinator or the doctor with that Alzheimer's patient and their family members is as important as identifying the patient, right? Yeah. So I think we missed that. And I, I would say broadly for my friends in like the pharmaceutical space, this probably spend a little bit more time thinking about that interaction if they're looking to improve clinical research.
0: Jason, talk to me a little bit about some of the trends that you're seeing in the industry that you think are likely to have an impact on that vision that you described.
1: Yeah, the biggest trend right now that we're seeing is that either through private equity or public companies purchasing new practices, they're expanding their network, right? So there's this idea of a clinical research network. Mm -hmm. Now, what, what that means is that it gives an ability to consolidate operations and provide efficiencies across the entire sort of network. Now, it's pretty well understood by most people in these network that these institutions still work at a practice by practice level. So you may ha- be in a network of 15 practices, but they still act relatively autonomously. So, th- mm. so there's a lot of effort now being put into how do we make these 15 practices operate as one, right? For example, how do we consolidate data from 15 practices into a single data warehouse so that we can do things like the population health analytics, Mm -hmm. like the feasibility, like the patient trial matching, right? Imagine a world where you now have information across your 15 different practices, where as a trial comes in from a sponsor, you can immediately identify which practices you should run the trial in. You shouldn't run it across all of them, right? right. You should run it around the ones in which you have the patients in. We're also seeing that with these type of solutions like the Beck Health Solution, you can actually plan your resources your resources being your clinical researchers coordinators in a way that goes to the practices during the days where there's a significant number of patients coming in who are eligible for the trials so so what are we seeing we're seeing a movement towards creating network efficiencies around better access to data better use of solutions to look at the entire network and to use things like patient trial matching to better engage the providers at those practices in a meaningful way so they put more patients on trials.
0: That's fascinating. And it sounds as though that's a way to, I guess, remove the quote-unquote stranglehold that academic medical centers have on clinical research and really open it up to a much broader population, not only of clinicians and investigators, but of patients.
1: No, it absolutely is because what you see and is that these the, quite frankly the people that we are talking to about this are private practices right they mm-hmm. have to move faster because their world is research right and they yeah. quite honestly are you know I don't nothing against academic medical centers but in the world of research in terms of operations and research that the, you see, we see a lot of the innovation happening at the SMO level at mm-hmm. the private practice level and the private network level, because really they have to innovate or they they go out of business.
0: the real question that I have, and this is I think where we're gonna we're gonna wind ourselves down here in this conversation, Jason is you know, what you've articulated it makes perfectly sense within the context of a trial you know and a trial site within an institution How, how do we get to the place where you know an institution is proactively deciding, hey, should we actually be a site for this trial, or maybe even going beyond the academic uh, uh, research institutions to individual medical practices? How do they get to play in this space uh, and take advantage of some of the things that you're talking about? What is, you know, what is what does that look like today, and where do you see it going for the future?
1: Oh uh, yeah, that I got to be honest with you, that is the exciting part for me. Is that right now pharmaceutical companies push down trials to sites, and you know, and they say, "Do you want to do this?" And that that's how mm-hmm. it works. And it's, it's it could be a bit overwhelming. We are currently in conversations with at least I'd say ten organizations that say, "Hey, there's a better way for us to do this. We can be proactive in marketing our patient population." Right? Mm-hmm. It makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Um, I don't know anyone right now that's you know doing it at the level that they, they are, you know, really happy about, but here's what's going to happen, right? Once, you know, once again, once we get the data into an environment that we can understand patient populations better that are relevant to trials, we can, in essence, start creating disease type reports. So that institutions that sit over a large network or academic medical centers can, proactively market to their sponsor friends or their CROs and say hey look across all these different disease areas this is how many patients we have right and what that yeah. allows them to do what that allows the the sites to do it, number 1 allows them to be to take charge of the recruitment process but number 2 it allows them to consider disease areas that they're not currently in today right because a lot yep. of times, one of the issues that research sites have, and actually sponsors have, is we trust what we trust. If, yep. you know, if we're a CRO, we've always run trials in these 30 sites, and mm-hmm. we're going to continue going back to those 30 sites. It's hard for a new site or new practice to promote themselves without having data to show that they have the relevant patients. Right? There's a trust yeah. issue there. So if, you know, if a, if, a, if a practice can proactively communicate the patient populations they have that are relevant to sponsors, then mm-hmm. you've got a better match, right? Then you've got a better match of how these different organizations interact with each other.
0: I would imagine that's especially true given the fact that the clinical trial industry as a whole is in a push to be much more diverse in terms of the type of people that actually enroll in clinical trials, you know, to have people of color, to have a better gender balance, to to have a better, uh, you know, urban versus rural balance. Um, what you're describing sounds like it could make some of those goals much more possible.
1: Uh, And and it's happening. Right. And I'm not I can't give away too much, but we're in conversations with multiple large data vendors that really want to be in the clinical research space. And the reason, you know, the good the good news is they want to be in the clinical research space because they've recognized that there is a major opportunity to bring trials to communities that are underserved right? Yes. If you look at a constant and, and, and just not, you know, just not putting lip service to it, right? not just talking about addressing disparities, you know, how you address disparity in clinical research is actually to bring real trials to real practices, to real patients, right? And until we do that, we're not going to address disparity. So there are mechanisms that are going to be put into place very soon that are going to be able to, to turn on trials, to bring them new technologies, to make their jobs more efficient in identifying patients. And I think over the next 3 to 5 years we are going to see the ability to place trials not necessarily at a site level, but a, at a geography level, right? And I think that's one of the changes we're likely going to see over the next couple of years is that this idea of site selection, you know, when mm. pharma goes through All right, let's identify our sites, right? That still needs to happen for regulatory purposes and having PIs, but what's going to happen in supplementing that will be let's look across the United States as a population of people, right, Mm -hmm. that with diverse requirements and figure out where are the pockets of people that we could perhaps Uh, identify and turn on practices, if you would, or bring on practices where there are a lot of patients. I mean, there are truly a lot of patients who never have had the opportunity to participate in research. And we're only going to be able to do that for them if we can provide a data-driven approach to identify the patients.
0: That's right. And frankly, our ability to impact standards of care in a way that they will actually be functional for the entire population is by doing exactly that. it's it's a it's a very exciting vision and it must be it must be really special to
1: be right in the middle of creating that future. Yeah, I mean, we started Beck Health, you know, just not only just because of the market opportunity, but quite honestly, it was you know, I want to be a good role model for my kids. I know it sounds kind of corny, but I want to do something special, right? And I know a lot of us talk about doing that. But, you know, the ability, you know, I was just, you know, I I just got a text from someone that we're going to start a, uh, you know, a new Alzheimer's trial, right, in Florida. And, you know, it just feels good, right? Like, I mean, it it, it keeps the team motivated. And, you know, this isn't an easy field to be in, right? I, I will not lie to say that, you know, trying to work with technology, you know, with it with inside EMR systems and trying to do what we do, it's not the easiest thing to do, right? There are no, days not where- not exactly falling off a log. No, it's not exactly, you know, I didn't pick the easiest career field here when it comes to, uh, you know, implement, you know, <laughs> but, um, but if we can pull off, and I think we will pull off our vision and bring trials to diverse populations and accelerate the development of research um, I think that's going to feel pretty good. I'm going to feel pretty good about our team and what we're what we're able to do.
0: As you should, sir. Thank you so much, Jason, for being with us on DataPoint today. I think that's a great place to wrap it up. Be sure and check the show notes for this show. We're going to have information about Jason and Beck Health in terms of where you can contact them and learn more about his team and the research that they're doing. Uh, but until then, Jason, thanks for being here with us.
1: Yeah, it was a great conversation. Good luck to you, too. Thank you.
0: Thanks so much for listening to the Datapoint podcast. If you like what you've heard, please do rate, review, and share it with your social network. It means a lot. And if you have ideas for show topics or guests, please email them to me at greg at healthquant.health or send a direct message to at moose on Twitter. That's C-H-I-M-O-O-S-E on Twitter. For more information about this show or any of the terrific healthcare podcasts in the Touchpoint Media Network, check them out at touchpoint.health. See you next time.